What makes a great leader great? How do we create a high-performing team? And when we say leader, we mean everyone, because everyone is leading their own life. Will yours be a life by design or a life by default? Those are the big questions, and this podcast will answer them. Welcome to the Becoming Your Best podcast, where we help you apply the 12 principles of highly successful leaders, because great leaders will produce great results. A quick message for you. We wanted to let you know that the Becoming Your Best 2020 planner has arrived, and as you're starting to set your sights on having an extraordinary year in 2020, this planner will be a tremendous resource for you. And we want to let you know that uh, particularly this year, there is a big-time discount for you. They're here. They're ready to ship. So if uh, you would like to get yours on the way, just write to us at support at becomingyourbest.com. Support at becomingyourbest.com, and you're going to love this planner. Welcome to all of our Becoming Your Best podcast listeners. This is your host, Steve Schallenberger. We're so excited to have you with us, and we have a very special guest with us today. I've been looking forward to this podcast. She is the founder of Duarte, Inc., the largest creative firm in Silicon Valley and one of the top women-owned businesses in the area. Duarte, Inc., is a global leader behind some of the most influential visual messages in business and culture, and they work with 200 of the Fortune 500 companies. Welcome, Nancy Duarte. (laughs) Thanks for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, same here. We're excited. And I'll just give our listeners a little background on Nancy and and then we'll turn to her and perhaps she can tell us about her story and things that have led to where she is today. Nancy is a communication expert who has been featured in Forbes, Wired, The Wall Street Journal, New York Times, and on CNN. She has also been a contributor for the Harvard Business Review. As a persuasion expert, she cracked the code for effectively incorporating story patterns into business communication. She's written five best-selling books. Way to go, Nancy. (laughs) Thank you. And she's won a a number of awards for that. And on the list of the top 250 women in leadership, Nancy ranks 67th. That may have changed even. And, And on the world's top 30 communication professionals for 2017, she was ranked number one. I was telling her before we started how fun it is to have someone like her on this uh, show today. She's uh, also spoken at numerous conferences. Her TEDx talk has over 2 million reviews. She speaks at business schools and lectures at Stanford University a few times a year. Well, here we go, Nancy. Shall we dive right into this? Yeah, I'm excited. Thanks, Steve. Yeah, thank you. Well, tell us about your background, Nancy, especially including any turning points in your life that had a significant impact on you and maybe even ultimately led to where you're at today. Yeah, that's a great question because I have a I have a whole bunch of little turning points make for a great adventure, right? And I got married really young. I got married at 18, which so that was a big one. But I think 
I, and it was awesome because I'm still madly in love with the man I married. But I think the one that might be more interesting to your audience is more business related. What I did, I think one of the biggest turning points that happened in our career and my career was one that was a massively counterintuitive move. Like the dot-com crash was happening or the dot-com bubble burst. So the economy was really poor in the Silicon Valley and the business contracted by about 25% overnight. And I guess you could say the data would say we were in a in a downturn or in a state of decay. And I did something that was really counterintuitive in that season. And uh, Jim Collins' book, Good to Great, happened to come out in that same time frame. And in it, he has a hedgehog concept. And a hedgehog concept says that if there's one thing you could do in the world that you're best in the world at, passionate about and can be profitable at, do just that one thing. So here was a season where the economy is constricting and we had four services at the time. We did print, web, multimedia and presentations. And I closed three out of four of those services and chose to focus just on presenting. And that was the most fundamental turning point in our business. And it was also the one that was the most counterintuitive, right? Because if you think about an economy downturn, a lot of people add to their services. They don't take away from them. And that took a lot of guts and commitment. And it was the best thing I ever did. Okay. Well, that's great. That's uh, well, Let's come back and talk about that here in a few minutes. Where were you raised? And tell us about that. Tell us about where you grew up. Yeah. So I grew up mostly in California, went to junior high in a little small town in Northern California called Chico. But then I went away for high school and a year of college to Mississippi. And that's when my love, my <laughs> husband, Mark, came and got me from Mississippi, came back to California. So he and I went to, he and I actually met in junior high, which is crazy, but that's kind of where I'm from. Wow. You mean Mark went and found you in Mississippi and took you back yeah. home? Yeah, he did. <laughs> Oh, how fun. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's great. Well, let's get back to this uh, big decision of uh, your counterintuitive decision of really focusing one area. Tell us about this area that you've been working on. Yeah. So we focused solely on presentations because we knew we were really, really good at it. You got to remember, that, you know, 1999, 2000, the default of most of the presentation tools were just created hideous slides as a default. It was just ugly. I don't know if people really realize how much we've come along in the last 20 years there. But so I had a service business where we'd write and produce really amazing talks for you and slides and stuff. And so we focused just on that. Within eight years of that focus, I wrote my first book, Slideology. And that was, I thought I just wrote a book. I put a book out there and it did really well. And then the phone started to ring for training. And I thought, oh, we're not a training business, but I'll build one. So now we'll either create your slides for you and your your talk. We'll, we'll work on your strategy, your story, your slides, and your, and coach you in your delivery. So whether either do it for you or we could teach you to be really excellent at it yourself. So that's how our whole training business, and that's growing like crazy. So that's been really fun. So what you did is you've scaled that business and uh, really focused on and expanding that. What are the services that you provide to your customers? So on the services side, we will help write a communication strategy because to really drive change as a leader, you really have to think through it strategically. And we do that through story exercises. We will help you write your content and we will, like I said, build your slides and your delivery. So we work with execs 
get them ready for the stage, help them with their thought leadership platform, really make them stand out amongst other CEOs as, you know, smart thought leader. And then we'll also work with brands. So we work a lot with brand communications. We help a lot with events, really large staged events that are just stunning. But we also make brilliant sales enablement packages, work on corporate overviews, lots of marketing materials, because a lot of that's done in presentation software tools now. Okay. Well, I'm just going to stay on the business side a a few more minutes. Then I'd like to go back and really talk about specifically how you do this. It sounds like you're really doing great. Congratulations. I mean, (laughs) that's awesome. Isn't that wonderful? (laughs) We have a lot of fun. Yeah. I, I feel like what we do is just spectacular and fun. So as you've been growing the business since that time, 1999 to 2000, and you're really focused on presentations, you've probably learned a lot, would be my guess. May have had a setback or two. Or, yeah. Yeah. Do you want to talk about any of those of how you just kind of pivoted and learned to stay focused, to get positioned in a great place? Yeah. It's hard sometimes to stay focused because we get tempted by a lot. I think I have some of the brightest storytellers and the brightest visualizers, visual thinkers. And so we get questions all the time. Hey, can you make a great big brand identity? Can you do this huge video project? And uh, we have to say no a lot. And we try to be what we call generous experts. That means if we do turn someone down, we either turn them to someone who could help them or we give them away something for free, right? Because we don't want, we need to feel good about telling someone no and telling someone no is hard sometimes. So we try to be really clear on what we'll take in. We just also had to make a scorecard. So even when we do think maybe some a client's a great fit, we have a way to filter ones out and because we're, we're just so busy and to stay focused, we have to be really focused and fierce about it. All right. Well, let's talk about specifically uh, some of the things that our listeners can learn from what you do, some advice that you have for them. How do you define a story in relation to communicating data? Oh, I love that question. So even though we're like known for presentations, if you think about communicating data, that is a communication problem. And when I say the word story, I don't mean fiction or fairy tales. I'm talking about the construct of a story, the three-act story structure that's just so timeless and so powerful as a communication device. So now that we can hook up fMRI machines to the brain, we can actually see what's happening in the brain while a story is being told. And while a story is being told, our brain does very specific brain activities. One of them is that like, if I was telling you a story right now, my brain and your brain would be firing in the exact same order and synchronized. They tick at the same time together. The other thing that happens is this, all of the sensing parts of the brain light up. And there's really no other medium that can do that. So when communicating data, there's a structure you could use. It's a three-act story structure. And our brain, like I was just saying, is wired to understand and comprehend the structure. So if you have and you dig through your data, you found a problem or an opportunity in your data, you can actually frame your problem or opportunity you found in the data in a three-act story structure. That way people will see it, they'll understand it, and you'll be able to make a decision about it quickly. So it's a lot of framing it in the shape of a story actually makes it so clear it helps with decision making. Okay. Yeah. And so what's act one, act two, and act three? 
Yeah. <laughs> Can you give us an example? <laughs> Thank you. You know, so the point of view is what you're creating. It's like a, you're, you have to form a point of view about the data by finding out, well, what is the problem and the opportunity that's actually in the data? And then the three-act story structure is a beginning, a middle, and an end. And the beginning of any great story establishes the protagonist or the hero as likable. The middle is the messy middle. In a movie or a story, this is where like the boy loses the girl, the monster is impaled by a monster, has to climb out of a ravine and still, you know, hit the soccer ball over the goal or whatever, you know, the messy middle. And then it usually ends in Western story structures. It has a happy ending would be the third act. So if you look at the three acts, what happens is the first act, you say, oh, this is the problem or the opportunity I found in the data. The middle is the is the data that you want to see change. It, you either want it to go up or go down. And then the ending is, if we make these changes in the messy middle, the third act will have a happy ending. And if we take these actions, this is how we will fix this messy middle. I didn't say that very well, but (laughs) basically the middle is the number that you want to see change because data is historical. How we behave today could change most future data. So the middle is, huh, this is what I found in the data and I want this particular data point to change. And then the third act is, if we all go and do this action, this is how we will change the messy middle of the story. So it is a much more articulate three acts than that. But Yeah, well, it helps you think about the data and what you want to accomplish and puts it into a process you can deal with. Exactly. And, it, and you know, it's not formulaic. You know, people that work in data, if you think about it, they're kind of analytical and they like structure and they like constructs and they like ways. And, and for some, it's not as natural to communicate in those analytical positions as it is for others. So this just gives them a nice construct to, to make sure it's very clear what you're seeing in the data as an analyst or as a business owner or whatever. And then it's just a super simple way to communicate really clearly what needs to be done about what you found. Okay. And is this the process for transforming numbers into inspirational narratives to drive action and get results that you've just described? Yeah. So that's kind of this three-act structure. Mm -hmm. I think, too, the process of turning the numbers into narratives is also a, it's word choices. I think it's kind of a different part of your brain that crunches numbers versus carefully crafts word choices. So part of it is understanding that analyzing the numbers is very critical thinking, but wrapping words around the number is creative thinking. So there are two different kind of modalities and you need to make sure you kind of understand that. Because if you approach how you craft the narrative around it analytically, it's just not going to be that interesting of a narrative. (laughs) Right. Well, I hope I can ask this next question right. You know, regardless of whether it's a multi-billion dollar company or really a two or three employee company, anybody that's trying to get their message out has to struggle with this. You know, how do I tell my story? How do I put it in words? What have you found the best way to do this? The storytelling techniques or ways to hone your message? What's your advice to our listeners? Because that's a hard one. How do you take this message with so much noise in the world? And especially if you have a really great product and you're trying to describe it correctly. That's a good question. So one of the things you have to do when you're describing your product is 
not make it all about your company and not make it all about you, but to make it all about whoever it is that's using or buying the product because really your product should help someone else get unstuck. And that's a storytelling principle where so many times the company thinks they're the hero of the story and in reality, their customers are the hero of the story. Their customers are going along in their own life and suddenly this product or service enters and and helps them get unstuck or it becomes this useful tool that they needed. And sometimes we forget to flip the narrative. And when we talk about a product, it's like our product has these features and our product is awesome. It's not really about this product is going to change you and and make your human flourishing amazing, you know? And so that's one thing about product. But when, when you stand on a stage, say, and communicate, I studied really for a long time the greatest speeches of all times. And I wanted to figure out what is it that they do? There's like a rhythm and a cadence and this power and almost like an energy that comes off the stage and hits you in the face. And I thought, what are they doing? Because it felt like they're using some sort of attributes of storytelling, maybe that no one's ever seen. And they do, they create this rise and fall and then it rise and fall and it's this cathartic release. And so my book Resonate covers how great communicate, and my TED Talk, it has like a couple million views now. It covers how you can use from storytelling that rise and fall that everyone loves about a great story and how you can apply it to your speeches and your talks, even your meetings. I can get my husband to do chores for me using this structure. It's awesome. It's like an influence, you know, like a story that helps you get influence and stuff. So yeah, don't, don't teach it to my wife. <laughs> All right. Well, so we're talking about storytelling techniques. What are some really great storytelling techniques that helps people do that? Kind of create this crescendo and just blow people away. And all of a sudden, man, they just send it home. Well, there's a few things. Like if you're talking about a formal presentation versus like communicating data, which is completely different. I think every every time you have a high stakes talk, it could be an all hands meeting. It could be a super important sales meeting. Like when it's really high stakes, there's this thing that we call a star moment. And STAR is an acronym for something they'll always remember. Like if they were to be chattering around the water cooler afterwards, what is it that you'd want to have repeat and keep going and and take on a life of its own? And those moments have to be designed by you. I mean, you know, maybe you say something stupid and that's the water cooler talk. Hopefully you don't. But like, how do you design this moment? It's either a story or it's a shocking image or emotional image or a shocking statistic, or there's just a handful of ways you can create this moment. It could be a demonstration that blows people's minds, but it's something they'll always talk about or something they'll always remember at the end. And I think that's important. And the other thing that's really important is how you end it. How do you end your talk? And one of the things I discovered Uh, the speeches I wrote, is they all end with what I named the new bliss. They all paint a picture about what the future is going to look like with this idea adopted, what the future is going to look like. Like Dr. King, even uh, Nehru and Gandhi and very famous people, they paint a picture of this is what the world is going to look like in the future if we are free. Or Steve Jobs, this is how I'm going to give you revolutionary new products in the future. And that was Steve Jobs' new bliss. I'm going to continue to get you new revolutionary products. Just So they all end with this promise that the future is going to be different and they paint that picture very clearly at the end. Lovely. Yeah, those are great mm-hmm. thoughts. I love it. Star, something they will always remember. Good. 
And then you design the moment and then finish with the promise of the future if they do X. And this is what they can expect. Great advice. Uh, Let's switch that around a little bit. Uh, What are some ways that award-winning brands communicate data? Oh, I love this story. You know, so because I have this service business I kind of talked about in the in the beginning, we're here in the Silicon Valley and we have had the privilege, the humbling privilege of working with the highest performing brands in the world. So I've been at this for 31 years, which is ancient <laughs> since, you know, there's so many people, yeah. younger people than me today. But anyway, we've been doing this for a heck of a long time and What I did is I went into our archives. I took our seven highest performing brands, the ones that perform the best on the stock exchange and as a brand. I pulled their data slides. I pulled out all the data from about 2,000 slides that had data on them. And what I did is I looked at the type of chart they chose, which is, you know, obvious I was looking at what were they trying to say? What chart did they choose? And what words did they choose to put on that slide to support that chart? And I looked at all the parts of speech. What were the nouns? What were the adverbs? What were the verbs? What were the adjectives? Like I literally geeked out, had all these spreadsheets, tallied things. What was interesting is there were two findings there that I thought were the most profound. One of them is that when high-performing brands are talking to a broad audience, they only use three types of charts. Even though these brands probably generate more data than any other brands in the world, when they're communicating to a broad audience, they either use a pie a bar, or a line. So all these fancy schmancy business intelligence tools and chart making things, it was very interesting to me to see that, you know, when they're really, really want to make it clear, they're using a universal visual language of chart types that like everyone knows. That was interesting. I was disappointed because I thought, oh, I know I'm going to, oh my God, I'm going to be the first person to come up with this crazy chart chooser that it's going to blow the minds of everyone. No, that didn't happen. And I was actually disappointed initially, like, what the heck? Why are they only using three? And then I thought, wow, that's actually kind of profound in its own simple way. And then the other thing I found that was fascinating was the word choices and specifically the verbs. What was the verb or the action that they associated with a chart? Um, Because that means, hey, this data happened, therefore let's do this verb because of the data. And verbs are important because that's the activity that you're asking people to do because of the data. And that was fun. So I captured every and tallied all the verbs and and then looked at them. And I originally sorted them into four categories, but then one of my brilliant content people was like, oh my gosh, Nancy, you could simplify this down to two. And there were two types of verbs there. One type of verb was a performance verb, which is almost like a KPI. It's a big strategic verb. And the others were process verbs. And those are the actions that you do in service of making a KPI happen. And so that was fascinating. And there's a whole page in my book about verbs and how they kind of tuck under each other and how you use them in association with data. That was fun because I'm a pattern finder. I like finding patterns. I like uncovering insights maybe other people hadn't seen. So that was really, really fun. And I had a really good time. That is fun, isn't it? When you can dig into the stuff like that and come out and, and you have these aha moments, say, oh, this, this is something that makes a difference. Yeah, it really does. Uh, which book is that one in? That you find? That's in Data Story. That's the premise, practically, of the whole book, Data Story. That's the one that just uh, launched September. Good. Yeah. Well, we wish you well with that. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay. Well, I'm always amazed how fast time flies in these podcasts. 
So uh, before we end the day, this has been so interesting. So many juicy tidbits here that we can use mm-hmm. and uh, kind of warming things up. And what final tips could you leave with our listeners that you think would be most important for them? You know, I think I'll stay within that data kind of category. And that would be that there's this moment in every career, like if someone on the phone um, or on the listening to this has a job where your role is primarily data, there's a decision you could make that'll be a real career maker. And that is to work on your communication skills. That's like a career threshold thing. Like you may always Mm -hmm. stay an individual contributor if you don't learn to be a communicator and this book was written for them. And what happens is when you add communication skills to your data skills, you wind up moving from an individual contributor to a trusted advisor. And becoming a trusted advisor is like the gateway drug to becoming a leader. And so if you have dreams of becoming a leader, learning how to communicate data is a critical, critical skill that you need to add to your tool belt. Oh, I love it. And I'll bet your book helps. It does. That's why I wrote it. for <laughs> So all of us geeks out there can become stronger communicators. All right. Tell us the inspiration of why you wrote the book. Well, I have this training business and we had a lot of people saying, oh, I love that you've taught me how to do an all hands meeting or stage to talk, but can you help me with this really complex data? So scientists, engineers, project managers, data analysts, and they're like, we don't stand and deliver, but we love story. And, and so our workshops covered part of what they did, but they really, really wanted a way to explain data. And so it's really hit a nerve. Um, The book's doing really well. I'm super pleased. Oh, well, that's so good. All right. Well, Nancy, how can people find out about what you're doing? So nice. I'm um website is duarte.com. That's D-U-A-R-T-E. I'm up on Twitter at Nancy Duarte and also at Duarte. I connect to people who connect me on LinkedIn and that's about it. Okay. Well, that's a good lead. Great information. And thank you, Nancy, for being part of this show today. Ah, thank you so much for having me. Thanks a ton. Yeah, you bet. It's been a delight. It's been really productive and useful and And we wish you the best as you're out there making a difference all over the world. Yeah, thanks a ton. I appreciate it. Yeah, you bet. And to all of our listeners, you're doing exactly the same thing. Wherever you are, you're learning, you're growing. You wouldn't be on this podcast listening today if you didn't want to do that, if you didn't want to learn new ways and get new ideas and find ways to improve. That's the very heart of becoming your best. It's learning, it's gaining new insights, taking that and adding your creativity to it. And what happens in the process, and especially as we treat other people extraordinarily well, you make a huge difference. So it's an honor to be able to be on this podcast with you, our listeners today. Uh, This is Steve Schallenberger with Becoming Your Best Global Leadership, wishing you a great day. Thank you for listening. Would you like help to apply the 12 principles of highly successful leaders in your life, in your family, or in your organization? Call us today at 888-690-8764 to speak with a helpful representative to evaluate your situation and how we can help. Or you can visit becomingyourbest.com. Whether it's a corporate training event, keynote, workshop, trainer certification, or personal coaching, It would be our pleasure to serve your needs. Once again, call 888-690-8764 or visit becomingyourbest.com today.